0: Welcome to God'splaining, contemplative preachers, contemporary age. Each week, join the Dominican Friars as they consider all things Catholic.
1: Hello, friends, and welcome back to God'splaining. This here is a specialty episode, so we're going to jump through our usual playful banner. Uh, I am your host today, Father Patrick Mary Briscoe, and I'm joined by Father Jacob Bertrand Janzik and Father Gregory. Maria Pine, I think that because this is an Advent Lectio episode and we're not doing the usual banter, all of us can offer a fun fact about Advent. Uh, so my fun fact about Advent is that it's a Gallic custom, and it comes from the preparation of converts who are preparing to be baptized on the Feast of the Epiphany, which, as you know, for many years was alighted with the Feast of the Baptism of the Lord. So that's where the, the spirit of the season as a penitential season comes from. Hmm. Father Jacob Bertrand, what's your fun fact for Advent?
0: Um, there's a wreath.
1: <laughs> nice, that's a Lutheran thing. Okay, Father Gregory, what's your fun fact for Advent?
2: Um, my fun fact about Advent is that in French, the word Advent is Avant, which is like Advent, <laughs> but you notice that it's also very, very different. Um, so I would, I would like to say that I'm learning all kinds of new things by virtue of the Wait, cultural experience that I'm having here in Switzerland.
0: Can I redo mine still about the wreath, but can I say a different fun fact about advent of course, sure. So, <laughs> so at, the, at the house of studies, our advent wreath, if you've ever been, so there's a center aisle, but the seats face each other, um, kind of monastic, whatever, and the advent wreath is in the middle of that aisle and it's not terribly wide. And we pray Compline in the dark, but for a few lanterns that are lit. And one, one year, oh no, one year, one of the friars was walking down the aisle and walked straight into the Advent <laughs> in the dark. <laughs> so we had two Advent wreaths that year because that one got destroyed. <laughs> totally took it out in the pitch black. It was hilarious, but you know, we can we can laugh about it now. We See how fun too.
1: advent facts are, friends? Isn't this fun? <laughs> what a what a great time. Um, so if you haven't joined us for one of these episodes uh before, we muse on the Sunday readings, uh so as to attempt to help you to better pray the Sunday Mass. Um, so we're unpacking uh unpacking the Sunday readings um in no particular uh order or expertise. Uh, it's uh, the sort of god explaining thing, right? Random musings, um, stuff that strikes us. But we do attempt to do these episodes with a bit more prayerful spirit. So I invite you to join me now praying the collect for the Mass for the second Sunday of Advent. Let us pray. Almighty and merciful God, may no earthly undertaking hinder those who set out in haste to meet your Son, but may our learning of heavenly wisdom gain us admittance to his company, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. Father Jacob Bertrand, would you
0: lead us into the first reading? A reading from the book of the prophet Baruch. Jerusalem, take off your robe of mourning and misery. Put on the splendor of glory from God forever. Wrapped in the cloak of justice from God, bear on your head the mitre that displays the glory of the eternal name. For God will show all the earth your splendor. You will be named by God forever, the peace of justice, the glory of God's worship. Up, Jerusalem, stand upon the heights. Look to the east and see your children gathered from the east and the west at the word of the Holy One, rejoicing that they are remembered by God. Led away on foot by their enemies they left you, but God will bring them back to you, borne aloft in glory as on royal thrones." For God has commanded that every lofty mountain be made low, and that the age-old depths and gorges be filled to level ground, that Israel may advance secure in the glory of God. The forests and every fragrant kind of tree have overshadowed Israel at God's command, for God is leading Israel in joy by the light of his glory, with his mercy and justice for company. The word of the Lord.
1: In this reading from the prophet Baruch, we get um, a hint of that great Christian tradition, which is to pray facing the east. We see that we see that yeah, Jerusalem, Zion, the people of Israel are invited to look to the east for their gods. We have this understanding that the Messiah will come from the east. And in the Christian tradition, this has been embodied um, in the way that we face in our liturgical worship. So um, in Islam, there's the custom of facing Mecca. Um, but for a Christian, um, we're not, we don't pray facing Jerusalem, we pray facing the East. Um, and so there was a custom for, uh, in some places and in some times of actually just facing plain East. Um, but there's a, a, an understanding connected to the liturgy of a kind of liturgical East, um, which we love to do this in the Christian tradition, right? We take something and we kind of abstract from it. Um, and then it gets lost, but then new generations can rediscover it. So we're all here uh, very excited about this idea of facing liturgical East, which would mean that the priest uh, and the people would face the coming Christ together, um, that together the gathered assembly, um, celebrants, and uh, people alike would turn to the East um, so as to face Christ looking for him. Um, So there's this idea about the orientation of worship, um, of, of looking to the East, of, of being ready to receive Christ. And the this reading from the prophet, um, which calls us uh, to look to the East, is a, is a kind of moment to re- reflect on that, reflect on the tradition of the orientation of the Christian
2: liturgy. I, too, was struck by looking East, but in addition, on account of the fact that I prepared uh, an auxiliary point, just in case someone else would be struck by the eastward facing direction of this here first reading. Um, I was also struck by the fact that the way in which Jerusalem is first, you know, kind of told to rejoice, to put off or to set aside its mourning and misery um, is, is followed by a description of her priestly identity um, in like a physical act of clothing. So put on a cloak of justice, right? Put on the mitre that displays the glory of the name. And so, right, when we hear priesthood, we typically think of the ministerial priesthood, but you know the way that Lumen Gentium describes the priesthood, and you can check out paragraphs 10 through 12, um, is that there are two modes in which priesthood are expressed. They're different, right? Ministerial priesthood and then what we call the common priesthood. Sometimes when Catholics hear that, they think that it's a Protestant thing, that it kind of cropped up in the 16th century and as a result of which we should push back against it or utterly, utterly reject it, but that's not the case there are deep deep kind of veins of discussion along these lines throughout the you know scriptures the patristic church the medieval church etc but there's the sense here that the way in which we seek a kind of resolution to our mourning to our misery is by stepping into by assuming our priestly identity which is fascinating uh because i don't know that everyone's first association with worship or with the offering of sacrifice would be an immediate joy but the fruit of worship is in fact joy because with worship comes the recognition that everything we have, we have from God, and as a result of which we offer it back to him. So what do you have that you have not received? If therefore you have received it, why do you act as if it were your own? When we tend to kind of arrogate things to ourselves or to act as if the things we have were ours, you know, apart from God, we we, we cause ourselves mourning and misery. But when in recognition of the God who has given us everything, we offer our lives back in worship. That is the beginning of joy. So during this Advent season, as we enter more deliberately into the church's worship in anticipation of Christmas, specifically, we come into the fullest possession of our joy, which is good news indeed.
0: There's a line in this prophecy from Baruch that is, um, I mean, I was going to say that speaks to us, but that sounds weird. But I think that we can identify with um, in a particular way as you know, as the contemporaries that we are living in our in our day and age. And, um, the prophet says this up Jerusalem, stand on the Heights, look to the East and see your children gathered from East and the West at the word of the Holy one, rejoicing that they are remembered by God. Um, so often, I think a lot of our anxiety, our worry, our what, what have you is comes from a sense of, of loneliness and isolation of wondering if we're appreciated or loved or, um, yeah, like, Do we have friends? Like, do my friends love me? Do my friends understand me? Those sort of things. Um, And there's a real beauty to what Baruch is drawing our mind here to, to to remember that that we are, to realize, to recognize again that we are remembered by God. Baruch is calling us to remember who we are—that we're that we're Christians—to stand tall, you know, to dress in this priestly way, as as Father Gregory was stand, saying, but to stand tall with the dignity, with dignity at the coming of of Christ. You know, we bow down, we adore, we we worship our God, but we do so as His beloved, as the ones that He remembers, as the one that He call so there there's a great sense of dignity here it reminds me of this this christmas homily that pope saint leo the great preached and this where this famous line comes from christian remember your dignity um and and pope leo goes on to explain that the 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 source of our dignity is that we're invited into the divine nature of god that god has remembered us he's created us and he is sending his son for us a reading from the letter of
1: saint paul to the philippians brothers and sisters I pray always with joy in my every prayer for all of you, because of your partnership for the gospel from the first day until now. I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work in you will continue to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. God is my witness, how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer. That your love may increase ever more and more in knowledge and in every kind of perception, to discern what is of value, so that you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
2: Uh, one thing from this reading that strikes me is that it's very evident that God, uh, that the Lord Jesus is not neutral uh, when it comes to your good, right? So I think sometimes, I don't know exactly how widespread this thought is, um, but I think sometimes we seem to think as if God is you know, up in his heavens observing us, kind of like waiting to see whether or not we will do well or do ill. Um, and it's not really for him to give indication, right? It's not for him to you know, pressure us in one particular direction. He's just there to reward us or to punish us, depending on which way we go about it. But that's just not the case, right? It's decidedly not the case. Anything that we do, anything that we do that is worthy of merit, anything that we do that is worthwhile is given to us by God. Um, So this, this notion that, you know, the God who has begun a good work in you will bring it through to completion, it has a kind of, I don't know what you would say, a cosmic setting to it. God created you with an end in mind. And he doesn't cease to create you with that end in mind, he gives you to be, but he conserves you in being, he gives you to act, he conserves you in acting, and all of that with a kind of um yeah, with a kind of tendency, with a kind of inclination towards your salvation. so you know does that mean that we ascribe to universalism? No, um, you know ultimate tragedy remains possible if we go to hell though, it will be by our free rejection of the Lord, but God is not neutral towards us. God is decidedly for us, right because God is decidedly for God and wants us to be for God in that kind of big,
0: broad sweep of creation and redemption. If we look at the way by which or we can sort of like attribute a theme to our three readings, at least how I read them and my sort of little thought here, uh, it seems that that what the scriptures, what the word is leading us to understand is is who we are in relationship to the coming Messiah. Uh, So in the first reading, as we've already talked about, uh, Baruch calls us to this sort of priestly identity, facing east, moving together as a people towards the rising sun, towards the coming of the Messiah. Um, And in the second reading, St. Paul, in his prayer within the reading, uh, he says this, and this is my prayer that you may that you may that your love may increase ever more and more in knowledge and every kind of perception. And here, this should remind us of the way by which um, we are we are made in the image of God. So we are reminded of our dignity to stand uh, to stand tall at the coming of Christ. But we're all we're, we're told here by Saint Paul how it is that we um, that we are um, that that we are made to to be the the beloved to know our Lord, and that's by our being made like God and our ability to know and to love. And the whole the whole point, we could say, of the incarnation, of the Christian life, of pursuing goodness and beauty and virtue and all of these things, um, of repenting of our sins, of being converted, is to know our Lord and to love our Lord, because he first knows and loves us. So we've talked about Advent as being this time of preparation, especially if you want to go back and listen, if you haven't already, to the to our to our thoughts and comments on the readings from the first week of Advent, is this, this kind of preparatory time that we now find ourselves in um prepares us not to be something other than what we're supposed to be but precisely what we are supposed to be to be those who have knowledge and love of god who know the one that for whom we are made and who love the one for whom we are made uh that, that growth in these things is really growing into our sort of true humanity, our graced humanity, what we are supposed to, uh, what we're supposed to be. And St. Paul prays for this and the saints pray for this. And, you know, this time of Advent is a, is a preparation for this, this growth and this, um, this, this conformity to our Lord.
1: Uh, you know, I just want to say that um, short people are going to be okay on the last day. You don't have to be a tall person. Uh, To be there. So I was thinking of that as Father Jeremy Jacob Bertram was talking about standing tall. You know, you don't have to be a giant like he is or like Father Gregory is. Uh, You know, short people are going to be all right on the last day, too. You can stand short on the the last day and and be fine. Presumption. Uh, (laughs) One of (laughs) the One of the things that's that's uh, really beautiful, uh, I think, about the second reading is that we see the power of um, the, the the power of the gospel to change a relationship. Uh, so I'm going to talk about uh, relationship a little bit too, but not our relationship with the Lord, but with uh, but our relationship with other Christians because of the gospel. Like for Saint Paul says, uh, I pray always with joy in my every prayer for all of you because of your partnership for the gospel from the first day until now. It's the gospel, the delight that St. Paul has in sharing Christ with others that, that brings a new dimension to relationship. And I think all of us know that, that Christian friendship is such a treasure because, um, because it's bound up in Christ and that our relationships um, that, that are able to be touched by the gospel, that are founded in the gospel, uh, are stronger, that they're different. Um, and that gives St. Paul a certain enthusiasm and zeal for his converts. Uh, to be able to pray for them, as he says again, with joy, uh, to remember these friends of his in his every prayer. And uh, as Christians um, in in a society that's increasingly hostile to Christianity, uh, we need to be bold and confident in that and recognizing that our relationships with uh, other Christians are going to be different, that they're going to be be beautiful because there's a dimension, there's a horizon of life that we're able to share um, with our fellow travelers, with uh, other disciples that can't be shared with just everyone. Uh, so, just a word uh, of encouragement um, in uh, to all of you as you work to nourish your Christian friendships. Um, delight in them, as Saint Paul does, recognizing that in Christian friendship, in relationships that are founded on the gospel, there is particular joy and
2: satisfaction.
1: Uh, so, with that, why don't we turn to our gospel, Father Gregory?
2: A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias was tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John the son of Zechariah in the desert. John went throughout the whole region of the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins as it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one crying out in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The winding roads shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God.
0: The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Here we're introduced to... John the Baptist, the great sort of culmination of prophecy in in the Israelite history, uh, and the one who we know um, prepares the way of the Lord, who is the last of the prophets uh, to announce the coming of Christ. And one of the things that stands out, whether um, yeah, in in John's preaching, is is this line, "Prepare the way of the Lord," Um, and. I mention, I make mention, or draw our attention to this to this line because I think it, it it's in keeping, in a way, with with the previous two readings from St. Paul and from Baruch, uh, in this sort of identification, clarification, clarification, and distillation of our humanity of what we are. And who we are in relationship to the coming Christ. So again, Baruch reminds us of our di- of our dignity, and as Saint Pope Pope Saint Leo puts it, Christian, remember your dignity. And then we see in Saint Paul this this way by which our dignity is made manifest in our growth of knowledge of God and love of God, of our sort of growing into that image of God, um, and and that divine life. And here, Saint John the Baptist reminds us that the coming of Christ, our preparation, is not simply something that is done in a passive way, but something in which we participate. Um, our St. John the Baptist doesn't say, be prepared for the Lord, but commands us, tells us to prepare the way of the Lord. Now he goes through um, and, and quoting these these verses, he goes through, you know, that paths will be made straight, valleys will be filled, mountains will be made low. Okay, fine. We're not going to do that. Um, you know, he's not asking us to sort of make a pancake out of the the physical world, but to prepare ourselves for the coming of the Lord, exactly what we've been you know, talking about what we talked about last week, what the readings in the coming weeks will talk about, um, that our Lord gives us the grace to know him and to be with him and to be conformed to him by his grace, but that we participate in that, that we pursue it, that we desire it, that we um, conform our lives to what it is that is coming or better put, who it is who is coming, um, that we may know him, that we may stand tall when he comes, that we may recognize that we are made for him and made to share in his life this this preparation isn't just a a passive reality but one that is that is active and and living and and real and something that we get to be uh get to be real co-workers in
1: father jacob bertrand's first assignment was dartmouth college uh, which has as its motto interestingly enough um this line from saint john the baptist vox clementis in deserto And uh, I know that because it's in the stained glass window uh, in the sanctuary where Father Jacob Bertrand said mass every day for a year. So you'd think that he would reference this, but, you know, maybe, you know, Well, I didn't reference
0: the stained glass because the translation in the stained glass window underneath is not it's prepare the way of the Lord, and the Vox Clamantis is in Latin. It says a voice crying out in the wilderness, and then in English it says prepare the way of the Lord. It's not a trans- yeah, but it's you like, know it's it's right. It's the whole so thing. So I try to not to talk about it because it annoys me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there it is. Okay, now we've arrived at yeah. the real reason. Okay, mm-hmm.
1: but uh, you ha- you have there a- at its inception at the at the origin of Dartmouth College this idea that it would be this Christian this Christian school on the frontier, right? That it would be in the wilds bringing the gospel. Uh, where the gospel had not been before now uh, where where i'm not going to comment on uh, whether or not that's (laughs) happening there at dartmouth college now although certainly father timothy danaher the dominican chaplain there is doing a bang-up job and there's at least one guy up there on the frontier that believes in the gospel uh, because our brother does Uh, and and he's really exceptional Uh, but i will say this uh, that this cry of John the Baptist, uh, whether we're thinking of the Latin motto of the college or the words inscribed in English in the chapel uh, window as which Father are Jacob different Bertrand, you know, just corrected me, but anyway, uh, they hearken to the same saying to the slime John the Baptist, right uh, this this work of this work of standing in the wilderness uh, and making oneself ready for God um, it, it's a, it's a reminder that there's that this is essential to the Christian vocation. Um, That this is not a kind of optional thing, um, that this is not an ancillary thing, it's not an accidental thing, it's not a tangential thing, it's not an ornamental thing, um, that it's integral, substantial, and central. How do you like that, (laughs) Father Gregory? I could be loquacious too. (sighs)
2: Incredible. Wow. All right. Since Father Patrick dedicated his last comment to me, I'll dedicate my next comment to him and I'll just tell a random story and I'll hope that it applies to the gospel in three minutes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> um so the aforementioned Father Timothy Dadaher says that there are two types of people in the world. They're beach people and they're mountain people. He's a beach person, I'm a mountain person. So when I hear in this gospel that all of these like, you know, mountains are going to be laid low and these valleys are gonna be filled up causes me some distress because some of my most, you know, delightful moments have been past, you know, traversing valleys or summoning mountains. So the landscape, yeah, getting frostbite that too. The landscape that's described in this reading seems to be a little bit boring. So like, what could it possibly entail? Here's my best better to reconstruction. Most weekends I go hiking in one of the nearby states or cantons in Switzerland. Um, and I didn't realize it, but, uh, because I guess I hadn't really had to contend with it except at Focus Summer Projects in Estes Park. But mountains pose a serious obstacle to human communication. So like in Canton Burn, for instance, I would pick a different valley each weekend and just go hiking. But I would always come up against the valley wall. And there's no road over, through, under, around the valley wall. It just, it just stops. There's just a big wall of rock. And then your choices are to turn around or to turn around. Um, so there's one option. It's two options, but it's one option. Um, And and one of the things that comes about as a result of this is that in Switzerland, there are billions of dialects. That might be a slight exaggeration, but people speak all kinds of crazy dialectical tongues here. Um, So you got four national language, but among all those national languages, there's just great, great variety because people have lived in isolation from each other since Adam walked the earth. Um, And I think that if there is one way by which to appreciate, well, I'm sure there are many ways, but one way that I'm going to appreciate what is proclaimed for us or what is prophesied for us by the prophet Isaiah, is that these obstacles to human communion, right the obstacles which stem from the original sin, which are described for us in the, the the I don't know what you would call it, but like the disorder wrought in human speech by the by the tower of Babel, right this is all to be made plain right this is all to be made manifest, and effectively the, the obstacles to communication specifically to communication and salvation will be overcome in the Lord. So the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the Lord uh, is the universal mediator of salvation. So there's no aspect of our humanity that's foreign to him. There is no language we can speak which he cannot interpret and then speak back to us in, in the register of salvation. And so while I do lament the boring landscape, I will take it allegorically as an indication of the fact that salvation is for all because God desires that all be saved and come to knowledge of the truth.
1: Let us pray. Be pleased, O Lord, with our humble prayers and offerings. And since we have no merits to plead our cause, come, we pray, to our rescue with the protection of your mercy. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you all for listening to this episode of God's Planning. If you like it, uh, please share it on social media. Invite people to listen to it. Please feel free to follow the podcast uh, on the interwebs, on the YouTubes, on the Twitters, on the Facebooks, on the Instagrams on all the things, um, please. That was uh, funny the
0: first time you added an S, not all the other times.
1: Excuse me. I'm making the announcements here, uh, because I'm the host of this episode. Okay. So we're going to finish up. All right. Without any further eruptions. Uh, if you are enjoying what you're hearing, we invite you to properly consider becoming a benefactor and you can support Jacob Bertrand's interruptions. Um, if that's what, if that's the kind of thing you want to pay money for, um, we would be, we would be delighted. Um, and please know uh, uh, always of our prayers and our gratitude for you. Until next time, God bless.
0: Thanks for listening to God's planning a work of the Dominican friars of the province of St. Joseph. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Leave a review on your podcast app and visit us at godsplaining.org.